I want to ask you to go to Matthew 5, 1 through 7. And as you're turning to Matthew 5, 1 through 7, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what Jesus said. He said, like Nate just preached, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way. His name is Jesus. He said a ton of stuff, and we've been basing all of what we've preached on all year on what Jesus said, including the titles of all of this series. And so this one in particular is Blessed Are, Rejoice, and Be Glad. That's like an amalgamation of these two different things that he said in Matthew 5. This is called the Sermon on the Mount. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts out with, you want to be happy? Let me tell you what happy people look like. Let me tell you what blessed means. Let me tell you what it means to be filled up, what it means to be content, what it means to be satisfied. And so here he is in Matthew 5. He sees the crowds, and he went up on a mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Those are his followers, his students, his successors. Nobody can be him, but you can come behind him, and you can be like him. And then he opened his mouth, and he taught them. And this reminded me so much of Matthew 4, 4. Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that steadily pours forth from his mouth. Jesus is the bread of life, friends. And he's given them morsels, and so he's given them to us. And they were kind enough to write them down. So here you go. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is an attitude of recognition that you need Jesus, that you can't do it on your own. Your feelings are going to betray you. Your money is going to betray you. Your family may betray you. People may betray you, but Jesus is never going to betray you. And you're blessed when you're poor in spirit, when you recognize that he's the only one who can take it from here. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's not saying you earn this, you, you get poor in spirit, and then you can finally receive this. You just recognize that he is it. And many of you have, and many of you have struggled with that. And some of you, even in this room, haven't come to that. Blessed are those who mourn, who grieve, who look at this world and the sadness in it, you guys, and the, the pain and the agony and the loss. But you mourn, you grieve it. For you or they shall be comforted. Amen. Come on. Blessed are the meek, the humble, those with power, but it's under control, for they shall inherit the earth. That's not what we hear. Wars and rumors of wars. You know what we hear? Might is right. Whoever is strong enough to win gets to write out what the history is and what the rules are. Well, Jesus did, and you know how he won? Does anybody know? He died. That looked like the greatest defeat. As our brother Adedayo was praying, and as the Lord spoke to him, listen to what he said if you weren't able to hear it. Be still and know that I am God. Jesus says. The meek, he was the power, and he was under control, and he was humble, and he calls his people to be like him, and then we're going to be meek, and we shall inherit the earth, but not 
this thing that's falling apart, but the way it's supposed to be. And then last week we looked at this. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Your hunger, your thirst, your soul's desire is the right way of life. And you have right relationship with Jesus and right relationship with others. This is how we're satisfied. This is how we're satisfied. Not with money. Not with acclaim. He says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be satisfied. And then he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You guys, I grew up in an area of Snohomish County that was really predominantly white. But by God's amazing grace, I got a chance at the age of seven to meet Nina Smith and her family. She was about six years older than us, and she was our babysitter, our nanny, a big sister that I never had, a second mom. And she used to say, mercy, all the time. I mean, it was kind of, I mean, her family is from the south, Mississippi, and so when she said mercy, it was like a lot of different things. <laughs> you know, like the bless your heart, which really could be almost a swear word, really. <laughs> but she said mercy, and sometimes she was begging for mercy from God. And sometimes she was telling us to get it together. Remember one time, I was at her house, and it was shortly after Christmas, and there was a lot of people still there. And I came up, and I ate what's called collard greens, and I loved them. These ones were really sour for some reason. And I said, what's wrong with these? I did not get slapped but I got manhandled. <laughs> and it wasn't Nina. It was her father. His wife had spent so long making food for everybody. And they included me. They loved me. They loved me like family. And he treated me like family that day. <laughs> <laughs> he grabbed my neck. And Nina was eating something across the way. And he said, boy, and he started to talk to me, and I just was like, ah. and the food, I don't, like, don't drop it, and then you're in more trouble, right? And I'm just shaking, and she's like, mercy, daddy, mercy, right? She comes. <laughs> she said, get this boy, and she got me out, and I went home that day. <laughs> I was invited back a little short of two years later. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't that long. But, guys, all of this. Today, tomorrow, this week, you need mercy. You need to give mercy. Mercy in no uncertain terms is forgiveness for the guilty and compassion for the suffering and the needy. Which one are you? Which one are you? Are you guilty? Are you needy? 
need compassion? Are you somebody who gives it? Do you suffer at all? I've heard it said that we're either suffering, just coming out of suffering, or getting ready to head into suffering. Maybe, eventually for sure in this world. But if there's mercy for the poor in spirit, there's mercy for those who mourn and grieve. There's mercy for the humble. There's mercy for the hungry and the thirsty for the right way and right relationship with the Lord. And that means there's mercy for all of us if we want it. And then you get to live it out. Let's start with this today, okay? God is merciful. My friend always jokes about, oh, don't stand too close to him when he says that. Don't be too close to her when she acts like that. Like we think like lightning. Like yesterday, we had a work party. Thank you so much. Did you guys dry out eventually? Me too, eventually. But it was wonderful. It was great. And there was lightning. And I started thinking about that statement. Like people, some people think, oh, you deserve to get zapped. Take a good peek around the room. Just really quick. I don't don't want you to know what you're looking at to begin with. Just look around the room. Look at the people. Smile, wave. Hi up there. Hi online. Karen, maybe, on vacation. Hi. Am I coming in clear? All right. Hi up top. These are all people that deserve to get zapped by God. We all deserve it. Some of you are like, don't talk to me like that. Okay. You especially need it. (laughs) God's merciful. Will you go with me all the way back to Exodus? We're going to go Exodus 34, 6. I just cherry-picked a few verses, two to be exact, about God and his mercy. God's giving the Ten Commandments. Can you guys tell me really quick as you turn into Exodus 34, when did God give the Ten Commandments to the people? Like, this is how you should live. This is my guidelines for you. This is not suggestions. This is commandments. When did he give those to his people? After he delivered them? Do you guys see how that works? Not get yourselves together. Snap out of it. Wake up. Be good people. Follow these rules and I'll deliver you. He delivered them first. And then he gives the law like this is what my people who are delivered live like. And every one of us falls short of that. And yet, here he is, giving them these commands. And this is what he says about himself. Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. (laughs) You guys, come on. Moses, get in the Ten Commandments, and God passes before him and says, this is who I am. Listen. The Lord, the Lord. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. 
Loving kindness, steadfast love, mercy, chesed, the loving kindness of the Lord. This is what he abounds in. Who of us right here has never, ever questioned that? Don't raise your hand because I'm going to call you a liar in front of everybody. At some point, we're like, even if it's just in our mind and we never say it out loud, which that is a really remarkable individual that never says, God, why? Where are you? What are you doing? I thought you were good. I thought you were good. We're allowed to, and God's big enough to handle all of that. Please know that. But for you to build a life there or a house there, it's really going to mess you up because this is who he is. I'll say it one more time. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Yeah, that's really good. That's who he is. Let's go to Jonah. Anybody spend any time there recently? If you're in the men's group, we spent a little bit of time there. But let's go to Jonah. I know that it, it's kind of fun. I was just talking with my dear friends here. I go quick because, A, I have little ribbons in my Bible. <laughs> B, I've spent a lot of time in this, and so I should know, but there is this really cool cheat sheet that they give you in the very beginning that's got all of the contents. What is this? Oh, note there. Okay. We'll look at that later. But right there, it shows you all of the books of the Bible. And then it's also up on the screen. I don't want you to give up, though. I love it when people bring good old-fashioned Bibles. I was all over my screen at the conference because I was taking notes on my iPad, and it was easier to go in there. But I love having an actual book. It doesn't make me more holy. Nope, nope, not at all. It doesn't. <laughs> so Jonah is a prophet of God. Jonah, if you don't remember his story, God said, look, I want you to go to the Ninevites who skin people alive, my people alive, wear their skin, put skin on stuff. They're gross. They're bad. I want you to go to them and I want you to preach repentance. And you know what Jonah said? Anybody remember? No, nah, God, that ain't me. <laughs> and he's gone. He goes in the other direction, gets on a boat, and God's like, oh, my goodness, where did Jonah go? <laughs> That's not how that went. Jonah has to get thrown into the sea that's going nuts because God made it go nuts to get him in a spot where he could get his attention. And so they throw Jonah into the water. And it says effectively in Jonah One, that once he hits the water, it gets calm. Now, VeggieTales does like a version of this. (laughs) That's got my man bobbing in the water. And it's a little awkward for everybody. (laughs) They threw him out, and now it's gone. I don't know if that's how that went. It kind of says it in the, but I do know that eventually a large fish or a whale, depending on where your theology is out on, is it possible that there's a fish that big? Apparently there is, there is an Indonesian man that got swallowed by a, a shark, which is a fish. Oh, gosh, no thanks. But he got swallowed, and he's in the belly of the fish. Seems like death to me. Jesus talks about that like him in the 
the belly of the earth, and he refers to Jonah, and Jonah was a real person, and people would have you think, oh, this is just a made-up story. There's no way any of that can happen. When he gets puked out, he's on the, the beach, he ends up going. Maybe he looked like death and smelled like death and went to these people who actually worship a fish god. I mean, shoot, you can't make this stuff up. As a matter of fact, I just don't remember too many movies about this. This is great stuff. So he gets a second chance, and he had already prayed and said, God, you're amazing, and I'm sorry, and I'll do what you tell me to do. And God's like, all right, puke him out, boom, goes, preaches. It's like an eight-word message. Repent, the end is near, basically. And they do. You guys, I spend so many words, and I don't often know the response. But as a preacher who's been given lots of messages from the Lord, to watch two or three people repent and turn around is like, yes! It's like oxygen, right? It's, it almost makes my hair grow. It's just amazing. He saw the king all the way down wear sackcloth and ashes and repent. Jonah 4, 2 is his response. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He says it like it's a bad thing. Because to him it was. When? When was it a bad thing to Jonah that God is merciful? Help me. When was it? When others received it. What kind of others received it? Bad people. Not like me. I'm Jonah. You mean the one that was just swallowed and puked out? You guys... Micah 6.8, he's shown you what's good and what does the Lord require of you. Act justly, love mercy or loving kindness, and walk humbly with your God. <laughs> you know the love mercy part? Does anybody love mercy? Three, two, some heads. Go ahead. Talk to your friend up here for a second. Do you like mercy? Do you love it? Do you like to give it? A few of you, nice. Yeah, it depends on the situation. Do they skin people alive? <laughs> In so many different ways. Jonah received mercy, but didn't want others according to his judgment receive mercy because they weren't worth it. And true to form, we know that 
some of the Ninevites repented and actually followed the Lord, but most of them, we understand, they literally ended up getting wiped out. But not then. They had a chance. So have you. Jonah couldn't earn this, nor could the Ninevites. And Jesus in Matthew 12, and then recorded again in Luke 11, says, something greater than Jonah is here. Like, they all repented because Jonah just came and preached a really simple message, and God was the one that made it happen all the way across the board because he was so merciful to Jonah, and Jonah's like, I don't like you anymore. You're really merciful. Oh, my goodness. I don't have in my mind a bunch of people who are like that. I have me in mind. Forgive, compassion, kindness, They don't deserve it. They're just going to step all over me later. Good news. Jesus is the greatest example of God's mercy. Jesus is. Not you, not me, not anybody else. Jesus is the greatest example of God's mercy. Let's go to Titus. That will be near the end of all the T's. As a matter of fact, it's the last T. You got First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, and then you got Titus. And if you're not careful, you're going to skip right past all of it. I'm going to go to Titus three, three through seven. Please, Lord Jesus, do the preaching for me. We ourselves were once foolish disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. Last week we talked about being hungry and thirsty for righteousness. All of us have a hunger and thirst for our own desires. When we are transformed by grace and mercy, we start to hunger and thirst for him, but we still got some of these fleshly appetites that are like, remember me? Oh, I remember you. But he's like, we were slaves to various passions and pleasures. Passing our days in malice, which is anger with evil intent, and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But, this is one of the big butts of the Bible, friends. This is so good. But when the goodness and loving kindness, this word in the Greek is so rad. It's philanthropia. Sound like anything you've heard before? Philanthropy. Like giving nice things. Being kind. Being generous. Philanthropy. When the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, his name is Jesus, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. I know you guys, I'm all wound up, and I just got done watching people talk back at pastors. Will you just say with me, his own mercy. Ready? One, two, three. His own mercy. (laughs) By the washing of regeneration, being made new. Regenerated. New life. Born again. And renewal of the Holy Spirit. Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified, just as if we'd never sinned, by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 
all Jesus, not us. Without his mercy, we'd be crushed. I wrote a little rhyme for you guys this morning. Are you ready? All Jesus, not us. Without his mercy, we'd be crushed. Why do I make such a fuss? I don't want anybody to miss the bus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Will you turn with me to Matthew 9? My senior year at Mount Lake Terrace High School, Go Hawks. <laughs> who said that? Got a Linwood kid in the house, Lynn Hood. <laughs> Amen. God loves those people too. <laughs> Senior year, we had a, a paper that was due, and this paper wasn't just any kind of paper. It was 14 pages long. This was back before there was a lot of typing and printing out, so we had to write it. Like, the bibliography, all you had to quote like 25 different sources. They didn't have a ton of uh, resources for knowing about plagiarism, but this teacher was super smart. And she popped a bunch of people who just wrote like word for word from things. If you did not turn this in, you failed. And I don't know if you know what happens when you fail a requirement your senior year. Super senior. (laughs) Or you do something in the summer other than just chill, because now you have to go into the real world. Although you guys have been living in the real world your whole lives, but you start to understand things like, you know, I don't know, paying for your own bills and things like that. So I put it off because that's what I did and sometimes still do. If you were later than a week with that, you failed. At about a week later, I went to my teacher. She allowed us to call her Joan. It was kind of weird. Now it's almost normal. <laughs> I said, Joan, I, I've blown it. I'm distracted by all kinds of things. I'm overwhelmed by this. And I'm not done. She goes, I know. And I said, Is there any way that you could give me one more week? She goes, what are you going to do with one more week? Sit around again? I'm like, I hope not. And she gave me mercy. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. She gave me one more week. I turned it in, and she gave me a B. She said, Aaron, you deserve a D because when you turned it in, this is the best paper that I got. You should get an A. Yeah, an A. (laughs) I couldn't believe it either, but it was crazy. You guys, Joan gave me mercy. She showed me compassion. I was suffering, and I deserved it. I deserved an F. The only thing better, I would say, than mercy, and it's very similar, is grace. Grace would have been Joan writing the paper for me and giving me an A. That's what Jesus did for you. And so here's a picture of it. Matthew 9, 9 through 13. 
is Jesus passed on from there. You can go back and look whether there was. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth. He said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. I know we've talked about a lot, but for a tax collector to be approached by a spiritual leader with anything other than the spiritual leader giving him disdain was super unheard of. But he says, come follow me. Come be one of my followers, one of my disciples. And he rose and he followed him. And Jesus reclined at table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? I know you've heard me say it a lot, and I'll just say it one more time. Who else could he have eaten with? But when he heard that question, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He's quoting Hosea 6.6. 6. Pastor Ray Ortland, very first guy out of the shoot for us on Wednesday, said, we live in a time where there's no sinners. Everybody's virtuous. Nobody does anything wrong. Christians, you know that you're sinners and you need Jesus. Are we saved? Yes. Are we set free? Yes. Are we made new? Yes. Do you still sin? Anybody? We still need Jesus. And he says, go to the spiritual leaders. Go and learn what this means. I don't require sacrifice. I require mercy. Mercy. Kindness. Compassion. Forgiveness. Helping those who are needy and suffering with goodness. That's what I require. You and I require it too, but in a different way. We require it to be saved, to be made whole. We need to recognize where the sick he was talking about, where the sinners he was talking about. And when you lose sight of that, God will keep coming after you. You need Jesus. A lot of times we've turned this into what's called transactional or causal. Like, I do this and God does this. Friend, can I just break something down for you that doesn't actually need a whole lot of biblical training or clarity? It's just like, okay. Here's the transactional way Jesus went about it. You and I fell short and he paid for it. That's, that's how that works. You and I need him so very much. We need his mercy, and because we've received it, we give it. We'll be shown even more mercy. He'll give us more kindness. Literally, you guys, I spend about 8 to 10, sometimes 12 hours a week in studying, marinating, and meditating and thinking about all this, but a lot of my week isn't spent around my message. And somehow, some way, God says, I'm going to use you. Not because I have a doctorate, not because I have a bachelor's, not because I have an associate's, but because I have a gracious, merciful God who wrote all this out for me to be able to share it 
and you to be able to share it and for us to receive. I don't just sit around. I take time and I spend time. But I've received so much and I can't wait to give it. And yet, sometimes I pick and choose on who I'm going to give it to. Please forgive me and call me out on that when you see it. We're going to finish with a story from Jesus that is profoundly unsettling. I love you enough to say, I hope this bothers you a lot in all kinds of different ways. I won't be able to preach much on it because we're getting close right here. But in Matthew 18, 21 through 35, we find one of the most impactful, unsettling stories about mercy and holding it back that you're ever going to hear. And you've heard it already this year. All right, Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Here we go. Then Peter, remember one of his followers, kind of the mouth of the whole crew, came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Please understand that three times was the pharisaical religious gurus. That was their level. He doubled it and added one for the biblical number of perfection. How many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? As many as seven times? Jesus said, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times or 70 times seven. And people are like, wait, 490? Okay, on the 491st time, you're dead to me. He's saying, you forgive from your heart. And then he tells this story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents at $40,000 a year. A talent, 10,000 of them would be about $8 billion. That's a crazy debt. There's no way a guy could even get access to that kind of money. Jesus is saying he could not pay it off. Not at all. Like your sin debt. Like my sin debt. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. That wouldn't even have touched the $8 billion debt. But that would have been his payment for it. And he never would have got out. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I'll pay you everything. (laughs) You ever tried to deal with God? I'll do this, you do that. I'll never do this again. It's impossible, you just can't do it. Out of pity, mercy, for him, the master of that servant released him, and he forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, which at about $19 an hour and all of the ways this goes, that would have been about 15300 bucks, not nearly $8 billion. He seized him and he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I'll pay you. That should sound familiar. He had the same speech just a little bit ago. But he refused, and he went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. 
When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and they reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. It should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have mercy on you. And in anger, hear that word, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now Jesus brings it back from the story to their audience here. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So if I show mercy, then I receive mercy. And if I don't forgive, then God won't forgive me. So it's conditional. No, he did all of this before we ever did anything right. We, we did read Titus 3, 3 through 7. God did all of this for us. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. How are you going to move towards Jesus? You need to not just love mercy that you receive. You need to love to give it and the opportunity to be like Jesus. Forgiving somebody. Being compassionate to those who are needy. Some of you, your first step towards Jesus is just flat out repentance. I have gotten it all wrong. I thought you owed me and I owe you. And I could never pay you and you gave me life. And so I I give my life back to you. And unlike Jonah, you're not going to fight with him when he gives you people to forgive and to be kind to and to be compassionate to. You're going to actually look for it. You're going to be ready for it. And when you miss it, you're going to ask for forgiveness and ask for some more tries. And friend, he'll give it to you. I know that there's some people that live alone, but you're not alone. And so there's people for you to be merciful to all around you because you've been shown mercy. There's a super rad story in 2 Kings about, is it 2 Kings, 2 Samuel, where David, King David, is looking for somebody to be nice to on Jonathan's behalf, his friend that got killed. Instead of wiping out Jonathan's family, he's looking for somebody to be kind to. And he finds a man who's crippled, who is Jonathan's son, Saul, the guy who was trying to kill David, his grandson. His name is Mephibosheth, and he gave him kindness. Look for people to be kind to. Look for people to be merciful to. And not if they can, like, insta it. Look, I'm being nice to them. Take a picture. Post it. Who can you forgive? Ask God to show you who you can forgive. Ask God for eyes to see where and to whom you can be merciful. Who you can show kindness, patience, forgiveness, compassion. Make a list and then pray and then go do it. That's super hard. I know. You actually may not be able to to start that without being merciful to yourself. You're just mad at yourself. You want to keep doing something. You know you shouldn't, but you keep doing it. Be merciful by receiving God's mercy. 
and then don't keep it to yourself. As I say, mostly every Sunday, be strong and courageous and let it be contagious. We weren't meant to keep this to ourselves. You're going to burst if you try. Let them stick out all over the place. May I pray with you? Father, I want to thank you so much for how amazingly gracious you are to us. May that motivate us to be so to others and to our own selves. God, help us to be merciful because you've shown us mercy. We can't earn it, but if we've really received it, you call us to extend it. If we don't extend it, I'm not even sure, Lord, according to your word, and according to that story we just read in Matthew 18, I'm not sure if we've actually received it. Because if you've been crazy, kind, and compassionate to us, it'll transform our hearts when we receive it. So for some of us, help us to receive it. For some of us, help us to extend it. And for all of us, help us to love it. The giving and the receiving of mercy. Your forgiveness, your kindness, your compassion, your help of the needy and those that are suffering. God, there's all kinds of places for us to do that. Help us to start somewhere. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.